How many rob robbers do you think are named Robert? I feel like if your name is Robert at birth, then you are pretty you're much just destined going to be. A to be a, yeah. yeah. What if your name is Bobert? Then you're going to be Bobin. Sorry. That explains a lot about Richie Rich. He didn't have a choice. <laughs> he didn't. There was no other choice but success. <laughs> Let's kick this off. Let's kick this off. Welcome back to Talking Backwards. I'm Dave Jackson, joined by Patrick Mahan. Hey, everybody. And Tyler Mullins. I've got beef. You got already? No. <laughs> okay, but I will. Don't call this beef isn't unless last you got week. beef. <laughs> Listen, we had a lot of beef last week. There was I mean, a lot I'm, of beef I'm last very, week. I'm very curious to hear if we have as much beef this week. I feel like we might. I've I, got it's just a hunch. as much, if not more beef this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's kind of what I thought. I'm going to go ahead and throw that um, out there. There's plenty of beef to be had, at least on my end. Well, I am excited to dive into uh, the Twin Peaks episode, Slaves and Masters, uh, a.k.a. Season 2, Episode 15, 23rd overall, but this is Episode 22 of the series. Nobody cares. <laughs> Everybody cares but you, Tyler. It's our highest rated segment of every week. Do you know how many Those emails three seconds. I have filtered out of my spam that are specifically about Pat stats? Pat stats. I send them straight to spam. I give them a once over and I just trash the folder. Perfect. Um, this episode is super interesting. It's written by Harley Payton and Robert Ingalls, two mainstays of the Twin Peaks writer's room. But I don't know. I don't know if it was the writing or directing. Um, this is not. A super great well, episode, in my opinion. Made. I did. I did notice a typo um, when the director came up. It said Diane Keaton, but I'm pretty sure they meant to put Wes Anderson. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. Um, yes, this was directed by Diane Keaton, the, the Diane, Diane Keaton, Keaton yeah. um, that you all know um, from such films as. Honestly, off the top of my head, I can only really the Family say Stone. The Family Stone. Yeah. <laughs> and that was I so I saw the Family Stone in theaters. Okay. Because I think I you was, need to stop I, that story. <laughs> well, here's right here's there. that story. Uh I, I, well, I feel like Annie Hall should come up first. That's kind of her big one. Keep continue. So, anyway, I go and see the Family Stone in the theater because uh in my early to late teen years, my only friends were the same three girls. And we went to nice. a lot of movies together because that was what we were old enough to do. The Family Stone was one of many, I will, I will say, chick flicks that I was tagging along for. This was the movie that I saw where by the end I decided, an unpopular opinion maybe, I hate Diane Keaton. <laughs> I do not like seeing her perform in acting roles. I saw her name come up on the screen and each time I've seen this episode, I have audibly groaned. <laughs> <laughs> it is weird though, right? I don't know what she's directed otherwise. Maybe I should have looked that up. I did yeah. look it up. I did look up something else I could find nothing on. I'll bring up later that I found interesting. 
didn't bother with Diane Keaton. IMDb has 12 credits to her name for directing. I think most interesting is the uh, Belinda Carlisle Heaven is a Place on Earth music video. <laughs> that <laughs> might be... Wow. <laughs> what a random... <laughs> no, that actually explains a lot. <laughs> yes. Wow. Because I'm pretty familiar with that um, video and it evokes the same <laughs> imagery yeah. as still a lot of this how she, I still don't know how she got to Twin Peaks. Um, and I think from from what research I did do about this episode and just even my own personal opinion, I think I said this to Tyler before, but uh, most most Twin Peaks fans feel like this is Twin Peaks trying to be Twin Peaks. Like she was trying to be weird for the sake of being weird but you can't be david lynch weird because that's very genuine and comes from a certain place Mm -hmm. it's not just we're being weird for no reason um this seemed like oh i know what this show is i'm you know going to try to be weird for the sake of it in in certain areas and i can tell in some very specific shots which i'm sure we'll get to yeah um but yes Diane Keaton, welcome, I guess. No, I, I definitely get what you're saying about uh, a lot of this feeling like it's trying to be Twin Peaks. I, I got kind of that same feeling. It, it This obviously, well, not maybe not obviously, but it definitely doesn't feel like a David Lynch joint. Absolutely not. There is absolutely no absence of weird stuff, but it is not the stream of consciousness, happy accident, uh, oh, that's great, let's use that kind of thing. It's very purposeful and decisive right but all that aside we can go ahead and uh dive right in to what we're about this intro with with slaves and masters uh what were we saying tyler i like this intro yeah i thought it was i thought it was strong with the chess pieces are they giant chess pieces i'm mm-hmm. hoping they built a set <laughs> of giant chess pieces and just took the camera through it well, I, I, it's evocative again of the the, the ceiling tile shot yeah where maybe you yeah. don't know exactly what you're looking at at first, but it comes into view much more quickly. Yeah, the Definitely. the draw of the, the chess pieces is very cool. It is. And then let's talk about this cop <laughs> and the two cronies who follow closely behind when he leaves. Uh, uh, real quick, before we get to the cop, uh, we have the, the fade-in shot of Evelyn Marsh in the veil. Yeah. And as many times as I've probably seen this episode and as many times as I have had the opportunity to figure this out, I am just now realizing that the episode title Black Widow is about Evelyn Marsh. Yes. I'm trying to think what other widows are there in Twin Peaks? We've got uh, just Sarah Palmer. Just the hot one who's barely named. Lana? Was that what we figured her name was? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Lana was the other one, yeah. The Black Widow would be a person who kills their... Yes. Husband. So I was going to say we had double widows, but I guess we have triple widows. <laughs> we have triple widows, but they're not all black widows. Oh, so that's true. If, if we're led to believe that there is some sort of witchcraft or something going on with Lana and that mm-hmm. she was after Dougie's publishing empire, that would make her a black widow. Chick Hillen with sex. But yeah, then we have obviously Evelyn Marsh, who definitely had a hand in her husband Jeffrey's murder for his yeah. clear wealth. Definitely another But now widow. I'm thinking like did she? <laughs> I'm very confused about this whole All right, sto- like like storyline that I brainwashed by Malcolm. So. Yeah, I, it's very yeah. confusing. Yeah, I mean yeah, I guess I think we'll get she to just kind of did it. <laughs> I got It wasn't really her idea. I think she just kind of went along with somebody else's suggestion like a slight nudge 
is enough for her to latch onto an idea. It feels like. Yeah. Yeah. It's like almost like she's like hypnotized by Malcolm. Like, what is his deal? How does he? He's a spirit. The way Lana hypnotizes men. You know, we're going to, you know, you saying he's a spirit. I do have, I mean, we're jumping so far ahead, but I do have, I do have a thought on that, which we'll get to with that scene near the end. Um, but yeah, when we see this shot of her, the same shot, um, a few times. Yeah. It happens, in this episode. I think three times this episode. Yeah. Um, so as soon also, as I came on at the beginning, I was like, oh yeah, this is this episode where we see this come up over and over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, we should definitely talk about these cops. Yeah. <laughs> that that's the moment when I realized this was a weird episode. <laughs> and it didn't take long. No, it didn't. And then like for the next few minutes, it's very I don't know. Like that all these shots and everything really reminded me of a Wes Anderson movie. It's you know why it feels so Wes Anderson to me? Is so many of these scenes are shot like a stage play. Right. It's very, you know, single frame, like you have characters mm-hmm. in a line with a backdrop. Yeah. And that's very Wes Anderson. Yeah. Like it's it feels like it's mm-hmm. meant for a stage and not for yeah. television. Right. Yeah. Definitely get that. Uh, just off, off the top of your head, how do you spell Jaguar? Uh I think it's J A G W Car. Nailed it. <laughs> Is there a competent policeman in the Twin Peaks universe? Well, this is two hours west. Well, he said east. universe. Yeah, it's we're, we're still in the oh, universe. Oh, gotcha. So he just meant, yeah, he just meant overall. Are we, show. though? <laughs> I mean, if it rains in Twin Peaks, it rains here. I feel like we're still... I feel like we're still that could just blanket. be a coincidence. Eh. Yeah, I don't know. I think what we really need to take away from this and really pay a lot of attention to and focus on is that James has been framed. Who cares? Get him out of here. <laughs> <laughs> um Jim. 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 James. James. Jimothy. She wants so bad to call him Jim. Yeah. Yeah. Um the shot at Wally's really, really made me laugh of Donna trying to sneak him in. It was so funny. It's as subtle as when she entered the roadhouse. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was so funny. Um just it was one of those where they're they're trying to be so secretive, but it couldn't be more obvious mm-hmm. that they're being sneaky. Also, how well does this server know Donna already? Yeah. Just comes also, up in the middle of her trying to be sneaky talky. Just comes up, get you anything, Mrs. Hayward? No, I'm I'm doing something. Yeah. Maybe she's just been hanging out there this entire time. Well, there's nowhere else to hang out, obviously. That's right. true. Or hide out. Oh, oh. That was great. We kind of glossed over the fact that there were like six mailmen. With cigars and <laughs> in their mouths. I don't know that we gloss looking over, at the wall. Really get there. Yeah. That's true. But I think they're all the same mailman. <laughs> yeah, I, th- yeah, I don't know, fellas. There's like hi Frank. <laughs> like uh, Mary Melody's cartoon style. Everybody looking to their left. We're not even to Looney Tunes yet. Just hey Frank. It's so weird. It's strange. And the waiter is persistent because he comes back around. He's like, yeah, you sure. Like it's so weird. Like I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense at all. Maybe they're bored. They're not busy. It's not a busy night. In the midst of this forced lunacy, all there really is in the scene is the fact that Donna is trying to get him to leave while James and tries to stay in reason with Evelyn. While James plays with an umbrella. 
<laughs> Let's not forget. <laughs> and we've all done it. Sure. Yeah, it's it's not like, that way because I usually actually, do. I usually do this, but he's like pushing down on it. Right. It's so really, the most. That's the most I've ever related to James was in this moment. Is this where the music's kind of weird as well? I feel like the music's kind of weird this entire episode. Yeah, Agreed. I have a note about it that it, and if it's not the scene, please correct me. But I wrote down that this sounds like an opera version of Laura Palmer's theme. Yeah, and Laura Palmer's theme plays about four times in this episode too. Yeah, it just sounded like oh, <laughs> like what? That sounded did just the like opera it. show up. The whole thing doesn't sound like it, but there's one specific point where it sounds like the peak of Laura Palmer's theme. Yeah, with all that said, Donna's going to put in a call to Big Ed just to, I guess, kind of relate back what's happening in whatever this town is. Yeah, Marshland. Maybe try to get Marshland. some help. Yeah, Marshland. And then she starts talking to somebody else. Annette. Annette. Who would talk to Annette? <laughs> That's the first name that came to her head. Uh, fun fact, Evelyn Marsh is played by Annette McCarthy. Aha. Interesting. Maybe that's where she got it. Don't know if that's, yeah, I don't know if that's the uh, connection, but um, that could be it. Is this the same super trooper policeman that's walking past her as she <laughs> it tries is. to cover up her phone call? It is. Like, I feel like she could have just kept talking about James's case and the guy wouldn't have even noticed. Yeah, Probably. He's just staring at her. Yeah. He's busy looking for a Jag W car. <laughs> He's not looking for Donna Hayward. He, he only cared about her words, not her looks. I mean, I said that backwards. He only cared about her looks, not her words. <laughs> Say it again. <laughs> for fidelity. Please. He only cared. Yeah, we're gonna laugh when we hear this edit. <laughs> there you go. We'll, we'll use the first ones anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. <clears throat> right. So as Donna tries to call in for backup. Uh, we're going to go ahead and head back to the sheriff's station. Yeah. More more chess pieces. More chess pieces. Chess pieces all over the place this episode. Yeah. Wyndham Earl's presence is definitely ubiquitous. Like, I think we know who to blame for the chess shortage in America. Somebody's walking into the convenience store in Twin Peaks looking for a chess board. Just, oh, man. <laughs> Thanks. They're all Wyndham. gone again. Wyndham. Thanks a lot. Uh, we need Wyndham. all of these because we're going to play multiple chess games at once with a single opponent. Yeah, I think we know who's actually to blame for the chessboard shortage. Yeah. Turns out we've got a, a bit of a. Yeah, do we all remember the hands. great uh, chessboard shortage of 1990? Oh, I remember. I well. actually do. Or I guess 89. The show takes place in 89. It's actually in that in that paper. Um, I think the headline was Asian Man Dies. Killed. Asian man killed. Asian yeah. man killed. Again. The one of the sub headlines is chess shortage <laughs> in Twin Peaks. Chess famine still in effect. Nation rattled. <laughs> yep. Yep. I'll never forget it. Now at the station where there is a chessboard, uh, we've got Bobby and Shelley being interrogated. Interrogated or just questioned, I feel like. Just questioned. I guess questioned, yeah. yeah. By Cooper and Truman. Making a lot of assumptions about bad boy Bobby. Yeah. He is the worst. But you mean business boy Bobby? Billy. Well, now he's wearing a business hat, boy so Billy. I feel like he's bad boy Bobby once again. He is. He's, he's you can wearing tell a hat. by the hat. Mm. This hat I have seen before. Where have you seen you this have? hat before? Uh, Tyler, I believe you saw it in the episode Lars' Secret Diary. I believe Toad was wearing the same hat. I think you are correct. It's true. True story, Dave. Look it up. 
I'm sure it Thank is. Thank you, Pop Apostle, for the uh, fun fact where I read this. <laughs> Got to give credit where credit's due. I feel like it was I just laying around set and... Dana Ashbrook just thought it was like, oh, I'm wearing that. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing that today. <laughs> <laughs> or Diane Keaton saw it and said, this looks like you, Bobby. Whereas the guy who plays Toad, who does show up later, is walking around and is like, where's my hat? Right. <laughs> yeah, That's my whole yeah. character. <laughs> yeah, funny that he does appear in this episode. Uh, also, I thought it was interesting, Bobby uh, playing with his lighter. Yeah. Yeah, um, that was just frustrating me. It's a character Frustrating, but just, but just, you know, we don't need any more... Uh, uh, Fires. Smoke alarms going off. <laughs> we don't need any more fires in this in this place. I don't know. I kind of like the continuity of that just kind of being something Bobby does when he's, oh, for sure. when he's feeling too cool for school. Yeah, He's not in school. School's been out for weeks. <laughs> I wanted so bad for Cooper to just be like, Bobby, shouldn't you be in school right now? <laughs> that would have been nice. Uh, well, this episode actually takes place on a Sunday. So. What? Not a fun Sunday, day. March 18th, 19, or Sunday, March 19th, 1989. Man, that was just recently 31 years ago. We're not even a month past, we're not even a month past Laura Palmer passing away. Who? Laura Palmer. Empty who? Empty who? He lets him know that it was Hank Jennings who shot Leo the night that he got injured the first time. Hank Jennings. Yeah, I th- like, did they not already know that? I don't. I thought he had said that before. I don't think so. He has said it, it to up. someone else, but he didn't say it to them. They had bigger fish to fry. You're not gonna have a fish fry on a Sunday. We got to get to the best part of this uh, scene here, which is when we get the return of Albert Rosenfeld. Thank God, man! What I I got so excited when I saw him. Uh, he is a ray of sunshine in this episode. I'm loving new Albert. Um, I disagree oh what with this i don't i don't get it <laughs> well did i miss something in their relationship well you know how he kind of came clean about the fact that he actually follows a really meditative and buddhist and positive lifestyle and of course he makes a couple of offhand remarks about his distaste for the unintelligent or the unintellectual <laughs> yes but mm-hmm. it's kind of like you know okay the mask's off he's actually not that bad a guy <laughs> I don't know. I I really like it. I like seeing him this way. I feel like Cole gave him a stern talking to when he went back that first time after the first incident with Truman. I'll, I'll take that as canon. <laughs> and, yeah, and that he's had to change his ways a bit. Yeah, I like him um, doing the same job and the same quality of work, but having a positive attitude about it instead of being so abrasive. But that hug. <laughs> it's a good it hug. Great. It's so... Weird. No, this is actually they hugged before too. This isn't the first time they've hugged. Is it not? No. No, they hugged. Uh, I don't know what the scene was, but when he was, he gave him that speech and he was like, "I love you, Sheriff Truman," <laughs> and then he hugged him. Okay, I'm back on board. How about all the stuff Albert found that nobody else did at the crime scene? That's amazing. Like a lot of really blatant stuff that you feel like should have been picked up on. Albert's a pro. He's great at what he does. Uh, I guess nobody would have really thought to have looked under the table to find a map, but there certainly was one. Uh, this Wyndham Earl is quite a character in the way that he's like even thought so far ahead as to plan his actions around rigor mortis and the timing of it mm-hmm. so that he could po- pose a corpse's finger to point at a specific chess piece. I call is it this, psychotic. Is this real? Did anybody fact check this whole rigor mortis sets in? Head it to toe, is. It is. It... It's a real thing. Um, it leaves the body after two days. 
Um, in reverse? I think so, from what from what I gathered. That's crazy. It's one of those things where it didn't sound right to me, but I didn't have enough facts to question it. Right. I mean, it may not, but I mean, it sounds well enough for this. That, well, and, he is an actor. And sounds silly enough uh, for a character like this to have gone to such great lengths to do it in this fashion. But this map um, has led to the location of several packages Wyndham Earl mailed out, each one mm-hmm. containing an article of clothing that his wife Caroline wore the night of their wedding. Full on cuckoo beans. Yeah. The map also uh, looks like a C. It does look like a C. The line. Are you sure about that? Not sure if that's for Cooper or Caroline or both. Could be a double. Mm. What I really took away um, from the scene by the end was that Coop looks really good in muted colors. Yes, he <laughs> was. Does. Normally, that would be fashion suicide. So when we met Wyndham Earl, I kind of thought like, okay, this guy has it together. He's just like evil and really smart. Right. Yep. Nope. And I no longer believe any of that. No, he's super cartoonish. It's not what you expect at all. I don't particularly enjoy it. I mean, you guys don't normally put on like a nighttime onesie and jump around playing the flute and meowing like a cat. I mean, not all the time. It is a it's completely different from how they introduce him at the end of the last episode. Yeah, completely and that's frustrating cuz that's like I'm I feel like I'm going to do Star Wars references all the time. But it's like when JJ Abrams set up everything and then Ryan Johnson just like tore it all down and did his own thing. And that's right. fine. That's but That's a fine comparison. I'll tell you why it works why? for me though like, is that he's presented as this very cold and calculated meticulous evil presence and then you get sight of him and he's completely unhinged and I almost expected him to be the way Thomas Eckhart is portrayed you know the just very stern and well spoken and you know to the point if we had two characters like that it would not have worked does it work I guess. from a character and story perspective I don't know because this guy is absolutely bonkers he is. Yeah, he's got Leo prisoner in his home still. He has his headshot. Yes. He's reading off and his, his rap sheet. Reading off his credentials on the back, all of his previous roles. Yeah, so clearly he's got ways to get all of this information, even though we're not seeing how he gets it. Mm-hmm. All I was thinking about is how much I want that eagle artwork <laughs> that's in the background. <laughs> But he's applied a collar to Leo, and yep, as he, he does this, he continues to meow, gives him a pig nose, and makes him meow. <laughs> Just a lot of things happen in this two minutes that we get with Wyndham Earl. I like Leo Wyndham didn't have Earl. all this coming to him. He's got it coming for sure. Uh, I think he had it coming as a uh, fully functional adult male, and what we have now is a very stripped down, barely present Leo. But am I, like, are they going to try to make me care about Leo? Oh, I don't care about him. It's no, not but, that. like, is that their goal? Like, if he's being put in this situation to where the viewer would have to, like, start to care about him. I don't know. It's a weird It's a weird choice um, for Leo's character to be in this position. Because, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't mind seeing him get, you know, harmed in this way after all that he's done. He's in a weird spot anyway, because it's like, do you feel bad for him? Because he's been, you know, comatose. Do you? The answer <laughs> like, is no. But then he came back and was like trying to beat up Shelly. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you don't beat up Shelly. Uh, you know, clearly there's still evil in his heart. Absolutely, there is. Um, so no, I don't. That that's another thing that sort of makes me dislike this pairing is because yeah, if he's doing if if Wyndham is treating Leo like this, I don't care. Yeah, it's an odd scenario, and I'm not rooting for Wyndham either. Right. No, I thought I was going to at the end of last episode. I was like, okay, this is a guy I can like root for the bad guy, mm-hmm. but no, but no. Let's yeah, take that rug opposite. and give it a good hard yank. <laughs> like I said, he's just he's cartoonish. I think I was reading some website that um, I can't remember. Apologies to the credit, but I was, just when I was doing some research for this, but they were comparing him to a uh, 1960s Batman villain. <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. It's like yeah. Being kind of like I mean, my first was just and... very. He was just very cartoonish, just especially because you can just see the cartoon like just doing the flute and like just running, bouncing around. It's like yeah, yeah this, this guy is... has a trap door somewhere in that cabin. Yeah, for sure. There's a giant penny in the corner that if you stand in just the right spot, it's gonna fall on him. That's all right. Where are we going to now? Stars. Well, after we finish our gruel. <laughs> Yeah. Is it the same girl that they serve at the hospital? It's gotta be. Twin <laughs> it's gotta be. The gaba the ghoul. That was just my first thought, and then I just immediately pick uh picture Pete sniffing it. I don't like when you say sniffing it. So uh we're gonna go back to Big Ed Hurley's house. Fred? Yeah, Big Fred. And he's kind of looking back on life, thinking about choices he could have made differently, thinking about time maybe he wasted, about twenty years worth. And uh, he's yep. laying next to Naked Norma. Mm, she's not. I, I I did notice. There was a strap, yeah. yeah. The, the nudity is implied. It's not I implied guess. when you catch that it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Until it's, it's implied, clearly it's just, not. <laughs> it's, impl- it's implied to you, Dave. I can see where your mind was in the scene. Look, the heart wants what it wants. True. <laughs> and that's where Big Ed is right now. Where Are they in Nadine's bed? Like it looks like a kid. Looks like bedroom, they're in right? like a kid. Yeah, I don't understand. So far, I've seen nothing in this house that looks like it would be Big Ed's house. Well, I. That, well, that's because Nadine wore the pants. That's true. I see that. Also, I haven't fully gotten the picture of what Ed and Nadine's relationship is like right now. So while she's yeah, running around trying been... to get Mike Nelson, it seems like they're in the same bed every night. Hence the yeah. The pickup truck. Yeah, lines. he's getting it on the rig. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what their routine is like, and I don't know how they right. coexist. I right. know what their mornings are like. Right. Then she goes to school. Right. Where she tries to knock on Mike Nelson. Yes. But apparently it's it's real. Yeah. Hot and heavy. <laughs> they've, they've got something real, man. Uh I expected her to show up during this scene. I did not expect her to climb into bed with Ed and Norma. With yeah. a wrestling trophy. I guess she was supposed to be away at a wrestling competition for longer, and that's how they kind of got caught off guard. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. She, hold on. I got beef. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Let's hear it. She says she got disqualified for doing an illegal airplane slam, yes. but then she still got second place. That's not how disqualifications work. You're right. That's a small beef, but... Well, I feel like but if somebody has nice. the capability of performing an airplane slam, yeah, give them a second place. It sounds cool. It sounds cool. I don't even know what it is. I should have looked that one up. 
I don't want to look it up. Sounds great. Patrick, look it up. I don't want it done to me. I, I don't want to look it up. I do want to know how to do it. Um, but I will say, too, I've actually got some beef here. Oh, you got beef? I got beef. <laughs> so my beef here is that she says that she had the most romantic weekend with Mike. The last we saw of her and Mike, Mike had no interest in Nadine whatsoever. That was the weekend. What the hell happened? But he did he did touch lips with her. How did he go spend a weekend with her? A magical weekend at It that. was on a wrestling the wrestling tournament. Yeah. Oh, that's what it was. It was the tournament. Okay. I got in my head I just heard the line and I just thought they had a romantic weekend together. No. And there's also at this point absolutely no indication that there are any reciprocated feelings from Mike. It could have very well just been her breaking his teeth with her mouth and thinking that was the most magical weekend she'd ever had. That's fully possible. Yeah, that checks out. Yeah, that checks out. It checks out. My beef isn't as, I mean, I agree with Tyler's beef. My beef isn't as beefy as Tyler's beef, but it's still beef. Uh, she does offer an apology to Norma and Ed, or I guess just to Norma. She offers an, an yeah, apology just to Norma. Norma for beating Hank up, but she just didn't want anything to happen to her Eddie. Yeah. Even though. She's very conflicted. She has clearly moved on in her head. Mm-hmm. She's like, I know about you guys, yeah. and I'm totally cool with it because I'm trying to get with Mike. Yeah. Which is probably a big relief to Norma. I love because Norma in this whole scene, especially right when she shows up, she's just like wants nothing to do with Nadine. Oh, she's you can not just into tell it by her all. facial expressions. I was just focused on her like the whole scene. She's just like, please just get this over with. I don't want to be around her ever. My note is Norma not into this. Yeah, she's definitely not into it. Menage no thanks. Yeah, Nadine for sure picks out the uh, the bedding and the wallpaper. Yeah. It's probably brand new. And all of the giant stuffed animals after she tears the door off the hinges. <laughs> oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. She just <laughs> bursts into the door and tears the door off. <laughs> oh, classic Nadine. Oh. Doc, you gotta take her. She's tearing all the doors off. <laughs> I just picture Big Ed every night putting the doors back on on the hinges. Just Stop beautiful. putting them on. <laughs> if you true, don't have any yeah. doors, they're not going to come off. Yeah, just take all the doors off. Fridge door, bedroom door. Oh, man. That's all the doors you can... <laughs> That's all the doors we got. <laughs> Front door. There Those you are go. all the doors we have evidence of, at least. Back door. <laughs> basement door. Nice. They don't have a basement. Doggy door. Sure. She just rips off the little flap. Uh, are we are we Let's ready to head to, to Martell household? We're heading to Martell I'm, Manor for sure right now. We have to. All right. I am ready for her to be out of my life. <laughs> I can only Get I can Josie only assume you're talking about here. Josie. I would rather have an episode that's <laughs> 48 minutes of James. Whoa. Looking Has at Josie the camera. Fallen below James for you? She's okay. Why did she come back to Twin Peaks? She loves Harry? No. <laughs> Wrong. False. I, I believe Josie returns to Twin she had Peaks nowhere else to go. out of fear. She literally had the entire world to go to. Right, but I guess she didn't have any connects anywhere else because... I guess, but this guy, Mr. Eckert, tracked her down in like two days. Yeah, he's, he immediately found her. <laughs> yeah, and she answered the phone when he called. <laughs> like, Josie, it's for you. It sounds like a man who's hunting you. Oh my gosh. I guess it would have been Pete. Josie, it's a man who's hunting you. Oh, that was good. 
Yeah, thanks. Well so yeah, Coop, Coop and Harry are there questioning her about the death of her cousin, Jonathan Lee. Yep. Um, She's Asian doing some real killed. weird physical aversions to this question. Yeah. It's like, yeah, she's being very weird about it. Like, it couldn't be more obvious that she had something to do with it. You know, like when you turned your back as a kid, you would turn your back to somebody and do the hands like you were making out. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what's going yeah. on here. <laughs> yeah. Making me super uncomfortable. Um, did we already discuss the naming double of uh, Jonathan? What's his last name? Like, Kaha. Kum- we learn it later. Kum- it's Jonathan Kuman- Kumanji or Kumangai? Kumangai? Kumail Na- Nanjiani. Yeah, so we find out his real name. Nothing. So she just made up Lee. Yep. I guess she figured it was more palatable. But she was also her cousin lover. Well, I feel betrayed because he has always been Jonathan Lee Mm -hmm. to me. Right. And he still can be if you hold it in your heart and keep it every day. No. You'll be lying to yourself. I don't know. But even Um, Harry's like, if you're ever going to tell the truth once, like, this is the time. Yeah, come on, man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so Co- so Cooper leaves him to give to give them some After alone she, time. Yeah, she grabs his hand. Yeah, he's like, he's oh, like, yeah, oh, I'm gonna get some more I love, coffee. Yeah, I love Coop picked up on that. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. yeah, I'm gonna take a break. Did he get another cup of Joe? Yeah, up next is actually one of my favorite favorite scenes. Another in this episode. another very Wes Anderson. Real quick, real quick, real quick. Yeah, the double was uh, Jonathan Kumanji and Audrey's brother Johnny. Which would be Jonathan. Oh, Hall. yeah, we never did that one. I don't know if we got that. Boom. Oh. So I love this. So Coop goes over to uh, sniff the percolator mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because fool me once. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> Shame on me. <laughs> fool me it's twice. It's true, though. <laughs> play it, Tyler. I got beef. No, Hold you're on. supposed to play Pete no, saying. <laughs> this is before. We'll get back to that. I've got beef. All You've right, said sniff twice, and I already told you once that I don't like the way you say sniff. <laughs> what? I got beef. I'm moving on. What, are you, what was There was what a was fish happening? in the percolator. Who said what twice? You Yeah. What keep did saying I say? sniff. It's sniff? weird. Sniff? <laughs> <laughs> it just sounds weird. He was sniffing the percolator. Do I really say sniff weird? There's going to be some Let's weird cuts. Yeah, cut yeah. all of the, cut all of the stuff about sniffing out of the episode, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Pat, you were you were saying about after sniffing the perk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was perfect because he was doing that. He was sniffing the percolator, mm-hmm. and I love it because it's the callback to you know the scene of Pete saying there was a fish in the percolator, and then two seconds later, Pete shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, is that you, Pete? And he's coming in with a bunch of stuff from the cleaners, and he goes on to explain this scene of what went down at the cleaners uh, between him and the lady that didn't speak a lick of English. And my biggest gripe with this episode is, again, another scene that we're getting explained that I wish I could see so badly. I would love to see the scene of Pete at the cleaners. (laughs) It sounds amazing. (laughs) Real quick, I got beef, so... I got beef. <laughs> one for each of us. <laughs> yep, one for everybody. It's amazing. <laughs> so yeah, he comes in with this dry cleaning, and he talks about uh, I don't remember the first name, but the last name was Pommelbeck. Yeah, and a Ginny or something. Yeah, or or Genie maybe. Genie. Yeah, and that sounds right. The last name was Pommelbeck, 
And he goes on to say it's Hungarian and all this stuff. He says, I only know how to say paprika. Like goulash. And goulash, yeah. Like goulash. Rhubarb. I don't know that I've ever heard a name quite like that. And I just, so that I could have a little trivia for the episode, I went to research the surname Pommelbeck. Guess what? There's nothing. (laughs) (laughs) It's not there. They just made up a name that sounded vaguely foreign and threw it out there. And it's it's false. That's amazing. Listeners, if you're named Pommelbeck or you know of the last name Pommelbeck <laughs> and you can attest to the origins, please throw it out there. But my research that I did for 30 minutes, pausing this episode, produced no fruit. Dave, that is fantastic. Thank you for your dedication. I mean, I, I tried. I, I just wanted to have a little bit of input and I, I came up dry. Uh, I don't like I don't like the way I said that. <laughs> No, I just, I just wanted to have some fun input, and I came up empty. So <laughs> that's not good go. either. <laughs> Better than dry. <laughs> that's true, I guess. Uh, I I don't know if I'm the only one who laughed at the way Jonathan died. <laughs> oh, how was it? So they're sitting at the table, and Josie asks how he died, and Cooper very sternly just looks up and goes, "Shot in the back of the head three times." <laughs> Like, man, was he like pressed up against a concrete wall <laughs> for you to be able to get yeah, two get more three? shots off before his body moved? And uh, who else in the show has been shot three times? Cooper has been shot three times. And who does he uh, steal a fiber from a coat? Josie. Coat. Boom. Hmm. Very interesting. And sure, there was a more economical way to get there, but that's a double. Six shots. She needs to go. So, yes, Pete does come in with all that dry cleaning. He has the Pommelbeck fiasco. And he ends up handing all that dry cleaning off to Coop because the phone rings. It's the name of my new book. The Pommelbeck fiasco? The Pommelbeck fiasco. (laughs) It's a very Da Vinci Code-esque thriller. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's great. But uh, The phone rings. Uh, Pete answers it. Says it's for Josie. And it's exactly who she doesn't want to be answering the phone for. And this is one Thomas Eckhart. Some British guy with pink eye. (laughs) Yeah, what's going on with his eye? (laughs) I noticed that as well. That's why he's wearing sunglasses. His assistant every night just goes and farts in his pillow. (laughs) Whispers something in Afrikaans and then farts into the pillow and walks away. Uh, Oh my gosh. (laughs) But it's gone. It's gone, I think, like, the next day when he shows up at Oh yeah, at uh, the, the Martell, Martell house. So I assume he just, like, pops some blood vessels. I do like that uh, Catherine intervenes on the phone, gets on the other line, the way your mom would listen in on your call. Just goes, yeah. welcome to Twin Peaks. Also, not the first time. I mean, she was very <laughs> Snoopy in season one. Oh, yeah, she was always on the phone. Josie related. Yeah, she was always mom on the phone when Josie was talking to somebody. Always sniffing around. (laughs) Whatever. Uh. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 
<laughs> Whatever. I, I guess if we have to, then we should go to the Great Northern. Back to the Great Northern. Meanwhile. This is just... Uh, only thing... The only note I have from this scene is Johnny Horn with Johnny, an exclamation mark. Johnny's back. <laughs> you know what? Fitting right no in. shit. Johnny, exclamation mark. Yeah. <laughs> yep, Johnny Horn, exclamation mark. Uh, it's funny how you can go so long without seeing a character and get so excited. Even when the character, like, doesn't... It, he doesn't mean anything to me. It's just the fact that we haven't seen him, um, I think, like since Rest and Funeral. Pain. Yeah, the funeral. Yeah. So, also, I don't know if it's coincidental that he has a headdress on when we first see him. Right. And it comes back around. I don't think that Native Americans played a part in the Civil War so much. But with everybody being in costume, it's not really questionable that he has this thing on. Right. He fits right in. Yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah. It's very on brand for the scene. It is. He's also not the only Johnny in the show. He's not the only Johnny in the show. Dave? Johnny on the spot. We also got a uh, Johnny Kumajini. <laughs> no, uh, <laughs> Jonathan Lee. Jonathan Lee slash Kumanji is the other Jonathan. Slash cousin John. Uh, Jerry wants to keep his brother crazy as Ben Horn is acting out these Civil War shenanigans because not a good brother. No, not a, not a great brother. No. But he, he feels the like there bro. are advantages to keeping him off the deep end. Mm-hmm. Whereas Audrey would rather have him back and back in business instead of being forced to take over the company and hence call the shots on all the company's funds, which convinces Jerry to be on her side. Audrey Abaus in this scene. Yeah, she's the best. I've said it since day one. She's amazing. And she also well, I mean, she's I'm Audrey look- Horn, and she gets what she wants. Mm-hmm. That's right. She also likes to lick. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, Is this the scene where Bobby shows up? I, no, I think he's uh, there the whole time because he's yeah. At the he comes in at the end. Yeah, and he like kisses some, her on the head when he shows up, and she does yeah, not. Like he that. does I'm it like, a couple what? times. Yeah, in like, three times in the shot. Yeah, like, what are you doing? <laughs> But he, he, like, gets up on her like that bartender got up on Donna. Yeah. Mm. It was, I don't know. Another I mean, I'm going to keep saying, making Wes Anderson comparisons, but the colliding bodies are... But uh, we're going to go ahead and enact the Appomattox Protocol and try and shake Ben Horn from his delusion, according to Dr. Yeah. Jacoby. I see his tie now, Patrick. Oh, yeah, his tie I was reading was the same. I don't know what it was. Maybe the second episode, uh, but it's the same. He's just wearing a, a tie he's already worn in the series. The fish. The tie of a fish. <laughs> Pretty great. That attention to continuity is much it. appreciated. I do. I appreciate good continuity. So, uh, I guess it's closing time at Wally's Hideout Wally's. Closing time. No. We got to talk about Bobby showing up and how he said somebody tried to steal his jacket. Oh, yeah. Some biker tried yeah. to steal his jacket. <laughs> Like you were at the sheriff's station, buddy. How many bikers did you, you run into not. between here and there? Yeah, uh, that one guy. What's his name? Oh, uh, Joey uh, Paulson. Joey Paulson. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's him trying to steal his Confederate jacket. Hey, man, nice jacket. Be a shame if anything were to uh happen to it. Then he dances a little bit. When you're a jet, you're a jet all the way. Oh. But yeah, closing time at Hideout Wally's Hideout because all the chairs are up except the bar stools where Evelyn is. Da Runk, 
So Donna knows that's the place to find her, rolls up on her, and uh, saying a lot of the things we've already heard. It's like, why are you doing this to James? Stop it. And Evelyn tries to wax poetic about some of her philosophy, and it's eh. It is eh. It is eh. Eh. Yeah, just not a lot I drew from this scene. Uh, Malcolm comes and lets her know that the car is there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Your husband says, the car is here. And Evelyn goes, get in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And gets walked out. Uh, Malcolm comes back to grab Donna by the mouth and say to stay away. Yeah. And a way that's or he'll kill her. overly. Didn't he aggressive. call her Donna? Uh, Did he call, he call her Donna? Donna? I'm not sure. I don't know if he ever says her name, but he he says something about I don't know. It was it was just weird. Their interacting was like he had he knew a lot about her. Yeah. I don't know if it was him talking to her about James and their relationship or I don't know. It just seemed weird. It was more weird stuff in this episode. Hmm. Like I felt soon after soon after this episode started and Patrick you called me. I was like I I just felt like I was dreaming this episode because <laughs> it like it was very Twin Peaks. It was so bizarre. It's very disconnected it's just, in its rhythm. Yeah, like it's just I didn't need this scene. No, no, it didn't need to happen. Yeah, it it didn't need to happen exactly. So I mean I I got what I needed out of it from Donna and Evelyn's short interaction. As soon as she said "get in it" and walked away, that could have been it for me. Yeah, I agree. So I guess we might as well go back to the sheriff's station. I guess with this weird cross dissolve of this <laughs> chess piece. Yeah. <laughs> chess piece is definitely at the forefront in each transition here. Yeah. Uh, we pretty much just get the evidence from uh, Coop having gotten a strand of Vicuna coat. That being compared against the evidence from him being shot in his hotel room before. We pretty much tie it to it's obviously Josie shot him that day. Uh, but we're not. Why would she have shot him? It, it would have had to be Just under to somebody get away else's from him? command, maybe. Or, well, but like, were they even. Coop wasn't even looking for her. Yeah. So I'm guessing that was something to do with her conversation with Hank. And he must have sent her after him as part of his honeydew list. I gotcha. That works. I'll take that. But let's uh, let's not tell Harry until we're sure. But, so we learned a couple things about Windermerle and his practices and even the identity of the corpse. So We do. But we've learned that the drifter who was murdered, his name is Eric Powell. Powell was the maiden name of Windermerle's wife, Caroline, which Takoop tells him that he hasn't forgotten a thing, and he is definitely still hung up on that situation. Uh, for each piece that's taken in their chess game, there is going to be a body. So a loss of a piece on the board means a loss of a physical person in Twin Peaks. Also, real quick, before oh. I forget, uh, friend of the podcast, friend of my life, uh, Aaron Leonard pointed out that the drifter that was murdered uh, may in fact be a double to the fact that Hank killed a drifter that he got jail time for back in season one. Two drifters. Spooky. just keep coming. So since we're in a chess game where lives hang in the balance, we're going to need a local expert. And who better? Cut to Toad. <laughs> I know. Such a fake out. 
So we go to the double. I know, that was my first thought. I was like, Toad? Yeah, Toad's face. I was there. I was ready for it. I was like, yeah. I was like, wow, we're finally making Toad a major player. Yeah, let's let Toad be the local chess expert. Series. But nope, he gets nope. checkmated immediately. And then so does Harry. And or sorry, then so does Dr. Hayward. And so does Cooper. As Harry looks on in astonishment, our own Pete Martell has bested all three of them simultaneously. Yeah. Then he Check. laughs. Thank you, Check. Pete. Check. Then there's this weird close-up of Harry, and he has this weird deep laugh. No, Harry's loving it. <laughs> it's it's weird. It's great. Pete credits his skills to one. Jose Raul Capablanca. Capablanca. Yeah, he was a Cuban world chess champion. Yes. So So unlikely that he learned from him in real life. Right. But he probably... Like our old friend Harold Smith grew up with him in Oh books. my gosh. I'm glad he's dead. <laughs> no, he's a friend of the game. So Cooper asks him to help in a case that involves a chess game, and that's all he can say about it at the moment. <laughs> Pete is happy to oblige. He needs to win in as I'd little be... as few moves as possible. Mm-hmm. I'd be proud to serve. With as few losses as possible, and preferably none. I don't know. It's pretty. It's going to be pretty hard to beat uh, our own world chess champion, Wyndham Earl. Yeah, Rain, reigning um, chess because champ. Coop and Wyndham played. What do they play a game every day for three, three years? years? Yeah, yeah, three years. Well, it's over a thousand yeah, games of chess. <sighs> well, sorry, Coop, you can't win them all. Okay, no. Now you You're wrote out. that down. You are and out. Waited for this moment. Dave and I will be going forward alone. <laughs> so, so let's, let's hear it for, for Patrick. <laughs> oh, no, I'm getting killed <laughs> off. <laughs> oh, my God. You're already dead to me. <laughs> Bring me back. No. I didn't mean it. I take it all back. Reverse Tough. the button. Reverse the button. <laughs> <laughs> Please. So Norma is very busy at the double R while they're doing this, uh, wiping down a big old ice cream cone decoration. But she gets a helping hand. Guess who's back? Back again. Shelly's back. Wipe in things. <laughs> Tell your friends. But uh, Shelly just wants her job back. Yeah. I've missed it's, seeing Shelly at the double R. It's yeah. where she belongs. It is. She's only got one good arm, but if she needs... An ice cream cone wipe. She'll use that one arm. She'll make that sacrifice to wipe. She'll that tip ice cream it over. Cone. If she's just using one arm, she'll just push push it over. Have a little faith. The double R just hasn't been the same without her. It hasn't. It's been like one uh, hour. It's almost as though we have a one armed Shelly. <gasps> she's a one armer now. There's the one armer now. Oh my god. There you go. <laughs> Uh, as soon as Norma allows Shelly to take her job back immediately, uh, Harry pulls Norma into the kitchen and mm-hmm. lets her know that Hank is about to be released from the hospital, but that he is likely going to be going away for a long time. Yeah, she doesn't want him back. Thanks to the new information that he made the attempted murder on Leo Johnson, and he's also violated parole. Yeah. So Norma is free to philander about with Big Ed, as far as we know. Get it. Get it, girl. Um. That scene where it shows Shelly walking up to that like 
weird long camera pan that was one of the scenes where i was like this just feels like it's twin peaks trying to be twin peaks Mm -hmm. it was just very like it that didn't need to happen for shelly's entrance (laughs) to the double r yeah some some of these cinematography choices are a little forced and there are there are scenes that are really telling about who's actually at the helm here i'm not sure where Catherine martell and thomas eckhart are I wanted to say it's the Martell house, but it almost feels it like is. the Great Northern. Is this the Martell Manor? This is Martell Manor for sure. No, it's definitely Martell Manor. Because Josie's sure. in her French maid outfit. Right. Yeah. Which, for somebody They're who's going to be there. spending the rest of her life in a maid outfit, she had a lot of dry cleaning. The the wine, Josie. <laughs> Don't just stand there, pour it, Josie. Um, the wine, Josie. She's really bad at opening wine. Uh, bad at pouring it. <laughs> bad at pouring it. Pours no wine. <laughs> yeah. A splash Just for a you sip. and a splash for you. Yeah, if I were Catherine, I'd be like, don't you want to get someone who'd actually be good at this job? It wouldn't be it's, as satisfying. It's not about the quality. Yeah, exactly. It's not about the guess. It's not about being satisfying. It's about sending a message. Everything burns. Yeah, this is the scene that I looked at and said, this is straight off of an amateur stage play. Like <laughs> this blocking and even the actions. Like having the side bit of Josie trying to uncork the wine while Catherine and Thomas are trying to talk. Yeah. Like this is on a stage, and you have people in the audience kind of chuckling at, <laughs> she can't open the wine, <laughs> <laughs> while there's a dialogue happening. And then he kisses her hand. Yeah, doesn't she have the most amazing fingers? No. <laughs> they look like two-day-old sausages. Well, that seems harsh. I think the fingers are fine, but the press-on nails are terrible. But uh, Thomas does pretty explicitly say that uh, he made the attempt on Andrew Packard's life, saying that he would kill for love, and that apparently Josie was worth it because of her immaculate hands. And that's all I've got for this scene. I don't know about anybody else. (laughs) Well, I have nothing else to add, Dave. All right. No, uh, Catherine says, bring us our main course, or something like that. Oh, the pig head? Yeah. Smoked cheese pig head? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, this is just straight up a pig head with an apple in its mouth. <laughs> that is... It is. No that meat. That is the entree. And a bunch of grapes. <laughs> it looks They're delish. right on the edge. Buena Braza. <laughs> Probably something they'd have there. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> All right, so Evelyn Marsh walking through the Marsh household. <laughs> James's entrance... Where he just appears in a doorway with him sliding open like a Star Trek door. The note that I have that I wrote down for this scene is James is a real tough guy. No, he's a not tough guy. (laughs) But he's trying to be a tough guy. I was laughing at his attempt when he came in here and was acting all tough. Yes, you can tell he's acting. He is not a tough man and he is putting on airs that, you know what's happening is his mouth's writing checks his body can't cash. He's like, why are you doing this to me, Evelyn? What is this all about? Why are you was so close to the deal? Was it money? Just be honest. And She's then like, she yeah, says, it was, it was, it was the money. money. <laughs> 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 just be, tell me the truth. Was it about money? Yes, absolutely. It was about money. This is just bad. It is. When is this going to be over? And then yes. how did this guy get behind him and on top of him and nobody noticed before he hit him in the back of the head with a gun? <laughs> well, it, after very he sneaky. after he ever so gingerly shoves her onto the couch and then climbs on top of her, 
in an attempt to be, I don't know, erotically dominant. Dominant, yeah. Yeah, because he gets real up. He gets all up in her face too. Yeah, yeah. But is it love? I want to know what love is. Is this a love connection? I want him to show me. I think it's a lust connection. Hmm. I think this might be the real thing. I think this is a soulmate situation. Also, are we are we still on this? Hmm? Evelyn Hurley. No. Will never be her name. (laughs) 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 Will be her name, and you will have to call her that. I will honor the outcome of the duel. <laughs> um, what's what's the other guy's name? That Malcolm. Malcolm. It's a Malcolm, Malcolm attack. Jeez. But no, when he's like sitting on James' body, talking to her, mm-hmm. and then it like goes in slow motion, like yeah, while he's it, still it, like, talking. Frame rate by yeah. half. Yeah, and he's just talking still. Yeah, just st- stuttering frame rate for. A reason I couldn't produce. <laughs> There's no reason. It's just another one of those, like, let's be weird for weird sake kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even the Nadine, like, big cat growl, sped up motion lifting of the fridge door, I can justify a little bit. I got nothing for this. No. No, it's weird. He's pretty much telling her what alibi to come up with for when they kill James. But as he's saying it, it's just this. He's hypnotizing her. Yeah. And and she's having an episode of some kind. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, it looks like she's like, a, he, it looks like he's hypnotizing yeah. her. Yeah. Like she's in a trance. Yeah, it does. And it, I guess that would kind of play into like, if her reality was distorting, then that would work. It doesn't work. Yeah. But James out. He's knocked out. Evelyn is the worst. Yes. This is a terrible storyline. Uh, back to the Great Northern. <laughs> <laughs> For another terrible storyline. This this scene is just as bad. A shot, a shot like the opening shot. This was yeah. genuinely hard for me to watch. Yeah, I tuned, I zoned out while this scene was on. So I, I couldn't even tell you what happened until when Ben wakes up and says that he had the strangest dream. That's the only note that I had. Because he mentioned having a dream. Uh, we go to the Great Northern to do the Appomattox reenactment. To oh, here, and... here you go. This will be a good one. What's up? 20 second challenge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're doing the 20 second challenge for this one? Yeah. Okay, start the clock. And go. At the Great Northern, Ben Horn is part of the Appomattox reenactment where the North actually surrenders to the South. And it seems like it was all a dream. Audrey looks great in a dress. Mm. He shakes out of it mm. as soon as the transition is over, and there's a Wizard of Oz parallel. Nice. 17 what seconds. What was the time on that? 17 seconds. Hey! Wow. Congrats, Dave. Thank now, you so much. I will make one note, and then we can move on. I loved when Jacoby came in, and then the flag fell between, <laughs> between them. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> And like yeah. the the Patton scene where yeah. it, just it just starts to monologue. <laughs> I did laugh pretty hard. I will at that. say, I will say too, uh, Jerry's uh, harmonica playing is such a Jerry thing. I feel like I did see him breathe in while the harmonica was still playing. Yeah, 
Well, you know the yeah. a harmonical just, play as you breathe. In no, he and pulled it out. away from his mouth and took took oh, like a Tazon Day style. Yeah, yeah, he leans away from the <laughs> mic to breathe in. <laughs> oh, another note. Anytime he t- no, <laughs> we can't keep. No, it's just the it. quirks of this scene. It's going to happen every time we do a twenty second challenge. Um, every time he touches or talks about the horse, it, it neighs. <laughs> Or like it whinnies or whatever. Easy traveler, easy. <laughs> so I was reading. Uh, there was a book that came out a few years ago um, by Brad Duke, uh, "Reflections and Oral History of Twin Peaks," and it, apparently Richard Bamer, who plays Binhorn, um, butted heads with Diane Keaton because he thought that the, or I guess he thought that the Civil War set in Ben's office looked way too stagey and <laughs> fake and didn't fit in with the aesthetic of the show. What? And he wondered if she had ever seen an episode got of the show before. That tracks for me. That <laughs> tracks for you, yeah. Um, but apparently most of the actors did get along with Diane Keaton. I think what part of what made the scene so hard to watch was the very stage-like presentation. I... I think that was really the aesthetic they were going for, for this whole scenario. Mm-hmm. But this is not at all what has been going on in Ben Horn's world. It hasn't been a production. It has been his reality. Right. Right. And I think what made the scene so difficult to watch and so cringy, really, is that it felt like a very over-enthusiastic amateur stage production that wasn't good. <laughs> but here I am in the audience watching it. Maybe my cousin is, in you one paid of money. Yeah. To I, watch I paid this. to be here. There's nothing at the concession stand. It's closed because it's not a normal, you know, <laughs> that's how low day. budget. Is. Yeah. And I'm in, I'm in the audience cause I want to support my cousin and like he's up there and he's doing his thing and I've got to be supportive, but I don't want to be there at all. <laughs> oh, so let's go back to Wyndham Earl's cabin where he's putting on his best Daniel Day Lewis disguise. <laughs> oh, and I we're guess going he's... Bill the Butcher. <laughs> yeah, I drink your milkshake one hundred percent. And uh, I guess he's trying to teach Leo how to write again. Yeah, I I was very confused about anything that was happening in this scene. So he's definitely adopted Leo as a stray cat that he now wants to teach how to write, and he's getting just as productive results yeah as you would an actual cat right uh but yeah he's got his old timey like tie you to the train tracks mustache villain disguise on yes and guides his hand to teach him cursive because he needs to write pretty words for a pretty girl we see the three pictures of audrey donna and shelly yeah Uh, to me i guess that just means that they are all potential targets they are but uh only one of them apparently can be his queen that's right hmm which on my first viewing, I didn't make the really, I didn't really make the connection. But second, third time, like he's selecting either his queen as his like, I will, he'll kill. I will have her. She will be mine. But we're talking chess. Yeah, and we're talking loss of pieces. This is the queen is going to be the piece that hurts the most to lose. Yeah, scary. Scary. Spooky. Scary. <laughs> Um, did anybody see what he wrote? Like after Wyndham helped him write, I couldn't, I, I couldn't figure out what it said. I was trying to pick it up. It's upside down. So I couldn't really. The poem lines that Earl is having Leo write out are from Love's Philosophy. 
by Percy Bysshe Shelley from 1820. It's only a couple of lines, um, but it's from that poem. See the mountains kiss high heaven. And and the waves clasp one another. Yeah. Those are the two lines on the on the paper. So we go back to the marshland. My only note is fart sounds. So <laughs> What? <laughs> I just as in Oh, just had gotcha. gotcha. This is the scene where uh My only note for this is why is Ev- why is Evelyn laying on him? <laughs> <laughs> do I got I gotta go to gotta go back. Um do we know which picture Wyndham tore and put in the envelope? I assume What do you mean picture I assume uh, you mean of the girls? Yeah. I assume Audrey's. I mean uh, I assume Audrey given what happens later. We'll come back to that. Um and okay. is it important? That he made Leo lick the envelope? Like, is that a calculated move? I think it's just a sign of subservience. Okay. Uh, it may be to put his DNA on it and not his own. Sure. But uh, we are talking about the episode Slaves and Masters, so it may gotcha. play that as well. Gotcha. Okay. Now we can move on. So, yeah, at the Marshland, we've got James still knocked out on the floor. Uh, Malcolm's still yep. trying to get Evelyn to plug him with a pistolita, but uh, Donna gets there just in the nick of time to run in, to run in and scream, please Donna. don't kill him. Saves the day, really. Kind of. Just yeah. by running in and yelling. Don't do it! So it's wrong! To, Malcolm's trying to put the gun in Evelyn's hand, get him to shoot James. Donna's screaming for them to stop hurting him, don't do it, yada, yada, yada. Evelyn eventually gets the gun, starts to walk backwards out of the room. Malcolm follows her. She shoots him because he's the bad guy and then repeats what he told her to say as her alibi for killing James, but is actually about her killing Malcolm now. It's I, poetic. Sure. I appreciated that. Yeah. That that was that was a fine callback. Yeah. Yeah, and then she just like decided to lay on him all weird. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would you do after you shot i wouldn't i wouldn't lay myself right over where they got shot it saves it saves on makeup and prosthetics that's why they did it yeah they didn't want to use makeup and prosthetics on malcolm it was i get definitely a it was a budget even though they use it on his back which it looks like he got shot with a shotgun (laughs) it was a budget in the back because it like blew out half of his spine so I want to talk about real quick when, you know, he gets shot. Um, talk about it, man. Let it rip. Well, a little bit of it just reminded me of Bob. Um, like how? When Leland, when, when Leland kill, killed Maddie. Because um, you hear like the distorted, you know, like groans that, you know, Bob had. Mm-hmm. Um, so my thought was just, is Bob present here for this happening? No, Bob is in Leo. Um, And we do get some more warbling video and we get another overlay of the black veil over Evelyn's face. Nope. It it does seem a little, a little spirity, a little spooky. Yeah. Spooky. Nice. 
Nice. But uh, as we draw near the end of our episode here, uh, we have Coop return to the Great Northern. He has Caroline's photo in his wallet still. And he walks past Wyndham and doesn't even know doesn't it. Doesn't recognize his dick dastardly looking ass. <laughs> <laughs> as, uh, as he heads back to his room, Wyndham Earl stops by the reception counter and drops off a letter for Miss Audrey. And gets distracted by uh, <laughs> ooh, owls. There's, yeah. There's a whole rack of, of owls postcards. Of course he does. Of course. It's an owl that distracts him. This is also not the first time somebody in deep disguise has approached the reception counter at the Great Northern. You're right. Gosh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Makes you wonder how many times this has happened. How many people wear disguises <laughs> at the Great Northern? <laughs> this a and reception thing? would never know. Never how many know. times did the any, same person can... multiple times come up to the counter in disguise? Yeah, yeah. Louis, Louis didn't pick up on it. Um, what was the guy last week? Randy? Randy Meyer. No idea. Randy Meyer. <laughs> Randy Meyer. No clue. How many times has Dana Carvey frequented the Great Northern and nobody ever <laughs> had any idea? Well... He's the master of disguise. I want to be the master of disguise. Pistachio Disguisey. I could talk for an hour about the movie Master of Disguise, but <laughs> instead... When we when we finish we'll, all of this. We'll save it. Yeah, when we finish all of Twin Peaks and we'll start the uh, movie review <laughs> podcast. Right, so uh, when Coop gets back to his room, Pat, we get a bit of a startle. Well, before the startle, he's admiring his old FBI suit that he can't wear anymore. Why? It's just a Missing suit. It. Wear it. He's like, I've been missing you. Well, he's already adopted the muted rural colors, so he's kind of living that life now. He is. Yeah. I guess you could say he's a master of disguise. No? No. Doesn't track. You can cut that. <laughs> Leave it in. I'm leaving that one in. So, yeah, he, um, you know, there's no sign that anyone has entered his room. Um, so he looks over and he sees a death mask. I in his bag like a death bag i chilled it's like a death bag it is a death mask and know. somehow there are light somehow there is light coming through the eyes yeah i so this is probably i don't understand <laughs> because it looks like it's illuminated underneath but then maybe it was like reflective eyes and there was a light or something but then when he starts lifting it up off the pillow, you can see the pillow through the eyes. I I think it was kind of just an optical illusion. Like they kind of looked like they were lit, but really it was just something white that you could see through the narrow eye holes. So yeah, they definitely looked like they were stark glowing white, but I think it was just kind of a, a trick of the eye. <laughs> I don't think so. I think you're wrong. Because what could be, what could you be seeing through them like from the angles when you go back there's no way you would be catching any other part of did i claim to be an expert yes when you signed up to do you this claimed, podcast yeah you said hey guys i'm the death mask ex- expert <laughs> that does sound like me hey everybody welcome to talking backwards we've got our death mask expert dave jackson i'm dave jackson the death mask expert it's hell time <laughs> it's hard baby to say <laughs> It's kind of hard to say. <laughs> Death mask expert. 
<laughs> Say it five times fast. Death mask expert. 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 Wow, was that six times? I don't know. I, I honestly lost count. I just hit a rhythm <laughs> and let it rip. <laughs> yeah, as he lifts the mask. <laughs> <laughs> we find the what? The death mask. As the death mask is lifted. An automated message starts to play off of uh, what appears to be a similar tape recorder to the type that Dale would use. D- Dale? Why did I say Dale? Because he says Dale on the tape. And it was jarring to me. <laughs> I have Dale written down. It's Dale? Just, it's just on the mind. We've never called him that. I know. <laughs> and I don't think I've ever heard him called Dale. Dale. <laughs> just Dale. <laughs> Lord. But he lifts the mask, and this automated <laughs> this message starts to play off of a voice recorder, much like the one Coop uses to talk to Diane. Who the and hell is Diane? Not now, Tyler. And it starts to play this very ominous, foreboding message from Windermere to Cooper that uh, pretty much puts the ball in his court. His move. It is your move. And uh, there's actually a pretty cool shot as Cooper's lifting the mask to observe it, where it the eye holes start to meet his own eyes and just mm-hmm. kind of blacks out his entire face and just leaves these dark eyes in contrast to the back of the mask. And I think it's very cool. Yeah. You're not wrong. But you're the expert. That is uh, pretty much the totality of the plot for slaves and masters. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. In general, Pat. Sure. What do you got? Uh, not my, not my favorite episode. Might be my least favorite episode that we've seen so far. Um, that's not to say that there's a few things I really like about this episode. I like the return of Albert, and I like the few bits of just kind of the old continuity that comes up. I I like that we've we've touched back on who shot Cooper. You know, the cliffhanger from the end of season one. Uh, that's fantastic because you know something you haven't thought about for a while. So I love and appreciate that. I also like that we wrap up two of the worst storylines, the Civil War and the Evelyn Marsh storyline. Are they wrapped? Uh, see ya, bye-bye. Uh, don't want to see you ever again, but I will next time I rewatch the show. Smooth. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of fans, too, regard this as one of the weakest episodes, if not the weakest. It's... It's just not up there. It's not great. So <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what, I mean, I think I, uh, Tyler and I were speaking about this too. I don't think I've rated in our talking forehead segment, anything below a three. Um, I probably should have said this at the beginning to give sort of a, something to latch on to for the listeners be like, will this be the episode that Patrick rates lower than a three? <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned and find out. That's the only, only reason people are listening. <laughs> yeah. You listen for the whole exactly. seat, but you only need the edge. But, um, I don't know. It's definitely, like I said, it's, it's my least favorite episode so far. It's, it's bottom of the barrel for me. Um, how about you, Dave? Uh, for me, in general, I do like that there are kind of bridges made back to season one. Uh, a couple of plot points that have been glossed over, kind of forgotten about, get revisited a little bit. So I do appreciate that. 
Uh, I like how <clears throat> some of the loose ends get tied up. I like seeing Shelly back at the double R. Mm. Um, but there's not enough here to really make me say this is a good episode. It's bananas. There's no major Briggs. There's no major Briggs. It is a bonkers episode. A lot of crazy stuff happens, but a lot of the lunacy and a lot of the eccentricity feels very forced. It's good in that it, it ties up the stuff that I wanted to end or at least gets us on the track to shut down the less in- interesting things. I like seeing Wyndham Earl's uh, kind of psychotic side and it makes me excited for his showdown with Coop. But uh, that's that's kind of my generality, Tyler. Um, I'd say a very middle of the road episode. Kind of same things that y'all are y'all are saying really the only i mean i don't know if it was diane keaton or not but i loved all the wes anderson type cinematography weird quirky stuff because i don't know twin peaks well enough to say oh it's just trying to be twin peaks so to me it's as a a fresh viewer it's very strange and noticeable, but the way it was shot, I enjoyed. And that's really the only redeeming quality this episode had. The stories were all whatever. I guess the whole Coop storyline in this episode was the best one. And the only thing that really held it all together. Um, but yeah, just a, just a middle of the road kind episode. Of- I mean, it's honestly you saying that too about Coop. I mean, that's kind of just how it has always been. I mean, his stuff, he's the consistent. He's, the constant. Yeah, he's what you care about each and every week is his story that's not and true. what's going on with him. You don't know me. Um, I'm I'm all Audrey since who? day one. I don't know who he's talking about. Audrey. On. I think plenty of people can say that they're team Audrey. More than they could say they are Team James for sure. Although nobody's Team well, James. Yeah, if you're Team James, you're dead to me. Although we don't. Audrey's definitely one of the most popular characters of Twin Peaks. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying that consistently. I mean, have we cared about Audrey all that much since the One Eye Jacks storyline? Do we wish she could be doing more? I, I do. wish she could be doing more. <laughs> uh, she's very much. I wish she could be doing a lot more. It's very much she the hasn't same been doing character. Really anything. Yeah. Yeah, she's just as strong. She's just as capable. I I do wish that she could be doing more right now. Yeah. But so that's also a big. Crack. You know what? Even though we've got beef, and even though there are these shortcomings, there's plenty of material here for us to pull a few damn fine lines of the night. Uh, Tyler, you want first jab at the damn fine line of the night? Yeah. So I struggled. <laughs> I really struggled and I really let me let me tell you what my initial damn fine line of the night was. All right. It took me probably 30 minutes to figure out <laughs> a, a line I could even use. Um oh. so I I almost went with no line, but then I found a nice exchange between characters. Not necessarily the line itself. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to set it up any more than that. Oh, also the music rocked. 
alone, Nadine. I got all the way to the district finals at Knife River only to find out the airplane slam is illegal. I was disqualified. Second place, what a drag. Oh boy, what a tough break, huh? Hello, Nadine. Hello, Nadine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So, Poor Norma. It was hard. It was hard to find one. And y'all, y'all took the other two. <laughs> so, well, yeah, in a in a drought of strong dialogue, you kind of take what you can get. But uh, I think I think I found a pretty strong moment that uh, okay. stood yeah. out for me. Uh, this is uh, Albert when he first shows up at the station and is uh, explaining why he's there. My invite back to Twin Peaks, Wyndham Earl. Direct orders from Gordon Cole. As he so succinctly put it, I'm worried about Coop! <laughs> <laughs> He's got such a great uh, Gordon Cole impression. He does. Mm-hmm. You can tell they've spent a lot of time together. I like Miguel Ferrer was just living for that moment to do that impression. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It definitely works. Uh, mine mine is also, also an Albert quote. It's at the end of this scene when he's speaking to Cooper. Oh, Coop, uh, about the uniform. Yes, Albert? Replacing the quiet elegance of the dark suit and tie with the casual indifference of these muted earth tones. It's a form of fashion suicide, but uh, call me crazy. On you, it works. On you, it works. On you. Gave him a nice compliment. Right when you thought he was just going to jab him (laughs) with an insult, he gave him a nice compliment. Yeah. Yeah. Love, Albert. Again, one of the high points of the episode for me. I love to see Albert end up buying land where he just chops wood all day wearing nothing but flannels. (laughs) <laughs> i mean that's i mean yeah i think gosh i feel like i have read that 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 uh miguel and kyle both talked about uh doing uh albert and coop spinoff like when the show was on and man i would give anything to see mm. that that would be awesome what could have been this is a cruel universe we live in <laughs> it is <laughs> it really is And now that segment's over. (laughs) Uh, I guess there's nothing left to it but to do it. Uh, We got to rate this episode, and we got to do it on a scale. Uh, I'm kind of grasping for what scale to use here, but... uh, Fish. I mean, if you had to pick a forehead, you might as well pick the best forehead in the business. That's true. Why does it have to be a forehead at all? To quote... Why not deviled eggs? (laughs) You know what? Let's do deviled eggs. Let's do deviled eggs. I would like to say a... Thank you to my one follower. <laughs> Who was it? Lauren P.T. Rice. Lauren P.T. Rice. You are my biggest fan. <laughs> uh, you know what? Let's do talking foreheads, but let's do it under the assumption that James Hurley is eating deviled eggs in the midst of it. Yes. I like that. This is talking foreheads, eating deviled eggs. That's him chewing deviled eggs. So it's not a motorcycle. I can't. Just obliterating him. <laughs> James! I can't have any coffee. He's too busy with deviled eggs. Yeah. Dave, what do you rate this Diane Keaton directed episode of Twin Peaks, Slaves and Masters? Ah, uh, man. You know what? Slaves and Masters, directed by Diane Keaton, from me. <laughs> I can only afford two and a half James Early eating deviled eggs foreheads. 
Just two and a half. Is that our first two of the season? It is. Or two and a half, I should say. It's our first two or two and a half. We finally... Wow. <laughs> finally get to use that soundbite. Of the series, I believe. We finally broke the meniscus and have... Yeah. We finally sipped that top of the glass, and here we I are. I feel like we're about to... In the trough. Really hit that button. Just going to be jamming on that, too. Yeah, Tyler, Tyler what you got? Because I, I am definitely in the two and a half forehead. Just two and a half. Just very just barely not middle enough of the road. Well, I certainly can't uh, go below three. The same we know the drill. As, as you two <laughs> again this week. Uh, you two have the same scores <laughs> most weeks. <laughs> we're we're really the watching the show. You're just throwing yeah, out it's numbers. Like, it's it's like you're twins. No. No. Nope. No. It's like you're the two mountains in Twin Peaks. Peak one. That's and as peak forced two. as this entire episode was. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't do it. It's a it's a three. Oh my gosh, you're useless. <laughs> just three. Well, everyone's entitled to their opinion, and I think that not wrong ones. I think the numbers speak for themselves, and it, it can only get better, right? Surely. Don't call me Shirley. <laughs> I hope so. Leslie Nielsen, airplane. <laughs> Still my least favorite episode of the season, like I said before. What about the series? Probably, yeah. <laughs> I have a new least favorite that only... It's better than Coma? <laughs> no, it's, it's very recent, and it's a, it's a tough watch. Talking I don't know that I have any further to do concerning this episode. Uh, I don't think we have a whole lot of even talking backwards news in the works. Uh, no. We're just going to keep trying to generate content through this quarantine, do the best we can to keep up with our regular schedule, and just try to keep getting it out there for people. Uh, don't want to ever let anybody down and don't want to disappoint and don't want to take away content from people that are counting on it. That said, we're going to do our best. Uh, let's see. Patrick, any news? Any, any final thoughts? Um, no, I mean, I think, I think we're definitely, uh, we've got, like I said, the two worst storylines behind us. So, uh, I'm excited to keep watching, um, and get to the end game here of season two. Mm -hmm. Avengers. Um, no, this is so much better than Avengers. I just snapped. We really are getting You're to still the end here. game of season two, and it's exciting. Uh, Tyler, any final thoughts or news? Can't wait for the next one. All right. Actually, I wish we had skipped this one <laughs> and just watched the next one. Well, you know what? It's behind us, and we're going to get to the next one. Uh, if there's anything we missed, anything you disagree with us on, if you love Diane Keaton, if you hate Diane Keaton, you can hit us up at talkingbackwardspod at gmail.com, Patrick. You can also hit us up on Twitter at talkingbackward. Look at us. Look at us. Instagram. Talking Backwards Pod, Tyler. Anchor.fm slash Talking Backwards. We'll see everybody next week for The Condemned Woman. Patrick, I think you're a great husband. Thanks, man. I, I think you're just I like okay. hearing that. I hope you're a better father than you are a friend. Dave said I'm a great <laughs> husband.
Hello?